innovation is in our veins. Soon the whole world will know our names. Sharing our knowledge and freedom reign. We're here for the people, you know it's our way. Setting foundations is part of the dream. It doesn't matter if you're new to the game. Listen up now, cause we all gon' say, Ugh. Elevate, 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 higher. Elevate, 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 higher. We gon' rise up. We all gon' shine. Work through adversity. Stay on the grind. Elevate, elevate. This is our time. Elevate, elevate. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, everyone. It's so great to have you all on one more time. It's your boy Josh and Reg, and we're grateful to be back on with you with our members. I know I did a lot of uh, hyping up of this episode, so I really hope that it lives up to the hype. We got a lot of stuff to get into. What we're going to be talking about today is some big events that are happening here at the next six months on the or six months on the global level in terms of what's happening in our global economies and global markets, how that's going to affect us here at home in Canada, and what how we're going to adjust to probably some very rocky, tough roads that are upcoming here. So we are going to get into all of it today. Uh, so happy to have Reg back with us as uh, I think people were annoyed just to only hear one voice last episode. So nice to have the <laughs> second voice back. I tried. I tried everyone. Uh, I don't know if Josh mentioned this, but uh, I was away. Uh, we had uh, a death in the family. So we were, uh, my my family and I, we were back in, in New Brunswick to be there for a funeral and I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm going to bring my laptop. I'm going to be I'm going to be ready for this. We're going to do this. <laughs> We're going to do this across the the provincial boundaries. And New Brunswick said no. <laughs> more more of their internet said no. So uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to come in for that. But uh, happy to be back for the members only. And I've got a few questions to add to this. And I think that it's going to be really helpful to kind of just to to guide you all through this process to let Josh kind of explain what he's what he's found and then kind of bring that perspective of just you know how do we how do we make this work for ourselves and how do we how do we use this information to our advantage yeah exactly and that's going to be the goal is uh, as a as a heads up or uh, as the uh, as the, as people like to say or the kids like to say these days we got ourselves a trigger warning uh-huh. uh <laughs> There's some stuff that's going to feel a little sad and it's going to be a little rough news. But as I, as Reg said, we're going to try and end off with some good action items of how we're going to address all this stuff. So first things first, um, those who have been following, at least our show, also been following global uh, politics. Uh, there's been something that happened, I think, last a couple of Aprils ago. I, I heard someone invaded some other person's country. I uh, can't remember who that was. Um, yeah, so that's, do do- that's that's a mystery. I, I have no idea. I mean, it hasn't been a long time coming either. It's not like they accidentally annexed the whole chunk of that country either. So, yeah. you know, maybe know. something's <laughs> happening. I don't know. Some part of the world really uh, started, you know, you know, as a, we jest and joke, uh, we know that Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, thus U.S., Canada, and essentially the NATO nations took exception. And started helping out Ukraine uh, financially, as we all know, and has led to some tension between Russia and the NATO countries saying, you guys, Ukraine's not a part of NATO, yet you guys are financing them in this war. Why are you doing this? This has then forced Russia to align with China and other countries to go against the West. So... Let's uh let's rewind to the Trump years, shall we? Good old Trump. Say what you want about him, but the one thing that he did was his main campaign uh, promise was bringing 
industry back home to the U.S. Things that the U.S. can actually give, don't uh, build in the country and give out to the world. And essentially, we've talked about on the show, creating value uh, so their economy can be bolstered and do better. Uh, then Biden got in an industry uh, establishment shill and said, yeah, we're going to not do any of that. We're going to actually give all the industry away. We're going to continue doing that. And you know that Keystone Pipeline? See ya. That's gone. And that was the first real wave we saw. Obviously, we saw through the pandemic because of all the inflationary spending. We saw an issue with inflation in general. Uh, But the big wave that hit was when the Keystone Pipeline was cut. I believe if I check my stats here correctly, uh, oil is at $30 a barrel. And then it skyrocketed to $120 a barrel. Yeah. So that was that was a big thing. Why did that, why did that happen? Well, as soon as you still have a high demand for oil, but you cut off a supply, you're going to create higher prices for the oil that's already existing. Well, it was cutting off the potential for, for that yes. supply because the idea was that Canada was going to be feeding the U.S. quite a bit of uh, our natural resources for um, them to refine. So the idea was that we were going to be basically just pumping the oil north to south versus east to west to be shipped out to to China. But uh, exactly, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. And I think kind of brings up the issue of what happened with uh, which led the U.S. at the time to then be more reliant on Saudi Arabia for the oil, uh, which they've obviously had a long-standing relationship for a long time, and. They were kind of like the sole, you know, at least the main source of oil coming into the states, which the states would then refine and kind of get out uh, to their people. Um, the one thing that was kind of brought up was the U.S. dollar being the kind of the reserve currency of the world. Uh, one thing I was learning about in terms of economics is when you are the world reserve cur- currency, you don't want to institute your politics into the dollar. You want to make sure it stays as stable as possible so that people want to use it and trade with it and continue to do their best with like making sure that like encourage people to use your dollar around the world in trades. You don't want to get to a point where what we saw with Russia, where, okay, Russia, you've invaded Ukraine. Well, you're now off swift. You've kind of, you completely kibosh their economy, uh, trying to at least did their best to crush Russia's economy with taking them off of swift and thus not being able to trade in us dollars so then they had to start trading rubles with china and this was what started that alignment if we follow us so far that's where we're at um so what happened was because of what biden was doing he weaponized the dollar and got russia ticked off then russia aligned with china and they've been taking off china for a long time um, obviously that was also started under the Trump regime as well. Uh, people were very, uh, our, our governments, the U S governments have been very offensive towards China these days, even though they are like their biggest trading partner. <laughs> um, so Russia lines up with China and then Biden starts talking about how we're all going green new deal. Uh, we are going to leave oil behind. We are going to move on to a new future, a better future with renewable energy. And that really frustrated Saudi Arabia. And Saudi said, you know what? Screw you. We're going to join China and Russia. Thus, you bring in the BRICS nations of an, an alliance of countries who are in the, in the midst of trying to get off the U.S. dollar and trade with each other. 
And here we are. So, Reg, any questions at this point? Uh, just one clarification. So, yeah. one of the things you had said about uh, the U.S. being um, the Saudi Arabia being the the biggest partner for them for oil. Actually, Canada is the biggest um, the importer, know. or so they they import the most from Canada. And one of the things that's actually kind of shifted over time because they have uh, different rules around fracking and, and oil extraction. Um, the U.S. is actually a, next, a net exporter of oil now. So most of its oil that they import are from, is from Canada and then followed by Mexico and then Saudi Arabia is actually number three. But that's actually been a shift in recent times. So like you said, um, and that's actually why there's been a lot less politicking over the Middle East is because we don't, well, I say we, but um, the United States doesn't need um, Saudi Arabian oil anymore because they've, like I said, they've become a net exporter of oil right now and they actually ship a lot of their oil um, outwards from the from the country. There you so, go. That's that's good to know. Yeah, that's it's, it's interesting and because like I think that that uh, like because when you think about the fact that when the Keystone XL pipeline died, like that project um, never got off the ground, um, the states actually isn't hurt by that as much as it is Canada. Canada really felt that. Um, not to say that like I was a huge like go Keystone kind of guy, but at the same time, I can recognize like that is a major loss for Alberta and for the Canadian economy. Uh, because like I said, the U.S., we are the main supplier of oil for the U.S. And so if we can't take that market share from Mexico and from Saudi Arabia and from the, the other few countries that they do import from, that's a loss of revenue for us. And that makes makes it harder on our provinces. Totally. I think that's a great point that you bring up and, and calling that out. As we kind of move on, as kind of that tension has grown between the states and Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia has now joined the BRICS nations. Uh, the reason why that's important, most people on the show know, uh, but we'll clarify is because America's based on the petrol dollar. Like their their dollar is completely based is not based on gold anymore. It's based on oil. And if a big player that you rely on for oil is getting out of the space, working within your using your dollars to trade with, they're a big oil trade partner on the global stage. That was kind of the agreement that the U.S. and Saudi Arabia came to was the U.S. said, we'll protect Saudi Arabia and the OPEC nations as long as you do all your trading in U.S. dollars. And that was the agreement. Then Biden upset Saudi Arabia and they said, sayonara, we, we're, <laughs> we're getting out of here. And when they've started making those deals, started to shift into using the the, the digital yuan, um, or I should say the Yen, Yuan, one of those two, one of China's beautiful and other currencies, which I think we read about a few months ago that happened. So where does that leave leave the states? Well, secondly, or sorry, secondly, moving it, moving on. Let's look at where the state's financial picture is currently at, and the, and those who are listening to the show, sorry, hit. Yeah, just before you go on, like I think it might be important just to say, like we're we're sitting here talking about why this why the United States, and it's because our markets are so intrinsically linked to the United States that that's why we're giving you the rundown of like the United States. Because when we think about it, as I just said, that the top um, 
the top importer of oil from us is the United States. Like, if they decide to change things or if anything happens to their monetary system, like, that deeply impacts Canada. So that's why I just wanted to clarify, like, this is why we're going so deep into why the U.S.? Because we are their largest trade partner. And if something goes wrong with them, we're going to feel it. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I was going to say, too. Oh, that's sorry, the man. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> you're good. That's exactly why we're jumping right into the stuff national, uh, what's going on with the states, is because exactly that reason. Whatever happens to them, is going, we're going to feel it very much so. So when we look at the states and what they're facing in terms of their balance sheets, they have 3.55 trillion dollars of assets. Um, but their national debt is $32 trillion. So we can do the math on that. That's not good. But the biggest stat that stood out to me, if I'm being honest with you, Reg, is that 42% of the U.S. assets, you want to know what it is? It's, it's not like Canada. I don't think it's housing. No. I think financial markets? Worse. Oh, no. Worse than Worse <laughs> than housing, bro. What? Student loans. Ooh. That's bad, dude. Ooh. <laughs> Student loans are 42% of your assets in the country. To we want to know what the mortgage rates are. Sorry, the, the total mortgages and assets are for them. Um, I'm going to say somewhere around, what, 22, 23? Oh, beautiful. You, are su you have such a great heart and like expect the best in people. No, it's at 4.8%. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like psychotic of kind of all these other kind of things that kind of make up that number. Um, it's all like really a lot. There's a lot of line items that all make up between the five to 10% range of mm -hmm. those assets. But that was the big chunk was the 42.3% of the That's loans. wild though. Like you think about that and every time somebody like calls for um, student loans to be forgiven or for... Uh, you know, university pricing to come down and for any subsidies to go to students in the States. Like you hear these, especially coming out of uh, like Democrat writings and, and from um, senators who are Democrats themselves. It's just not tenable based on that figure, because it's like, if that's the main <laughs> source of your assets, like you can't wipe that out because that, that's 42%. That's nuts. I think the thing that's heartbreaking about that is the way that I've heard it framed is literally like the the forty two percent of the U.S.'s assets are off the backs of their students. Yeah, that's well, crazy. When we talk about, or not when we talk about, when we hear about people saying like "Make America Great Again," I wonder what because like a lot of times they're talking about like the golden age of America, like the fifties, sixties, seventies. I wonder what that figure looks like for that point in, in time like what is their um like what is the the breakdown like what does that 42 percent look like was that like 11 was that 20 you know what i mean just mm -hmm. kind of That's to get a good sense of uh of what that is and we'll have to dig that up and have a conversation on that later <laughs> totally i think it was like i read a figure i think it was back in the yeah you said the 50s 60s the average college tuition was between eight and ten thousand dollars for a full education, right? So I'll give you an idea. Right. I don't think people were really going into debt as much as they are today for that education. Exactly. So yeah, you're right. That'd be a very interesting figure to pull up. So, anyways, that's the backdrop of what's going on with the states. Things are a mess. How do you pay back 
$32 trillion in debt when your assets equal 3.55? Like what, yeah. what's going to happen? One figure that I also hurt, read that also kind of hurt me a little bit, just to give an idea of how much debt there is. How many, what, sorry, what was it? If you were to count, Reg, how many years make, sorry, yeah, if you ask it, if the trillion seconds is how many years? Trillion seconds is how many years? I don't know, many lifetimes. 31,709 years. Yeah. That's like, that put it in context for me. Of like, okay, we're dealing with a lot of money here. Yeah. A lot of things to deal with. So we got some big debt that's coming down the pipe. So as China and BRICS come out with their own currency, which is going to be August 22nd, is looking at the announcement that they're going to announce, how they have a big announcement based out of Johannesburg, that they're expecting that they're going to announce their currency that's going to that the BRICS nations are going to use and their second part of that announcement is they're going to be look expected to announce that that's going to be completely backed by gold mm, i did hear that too because like that was one of the biggest things um that i think that we're seeing right now china investing in is they are putting so much money into africa especially in gold extraction um that's why like you've got brazil in this this party too like anywhere where they have mines and gold is plentiful, you're seeing the the partnerships line up and you're seeing the investment line up as well. Yep, hundred percent. So like if we land, line up with like the two economies are looking like, right? So you got the you got the US dollar that is ticking off all their allies and people, their partners that they've worked with. Uh, their politics are in absolute shambles. You have a leader that keeps falling asleep every time he talks. You have... <laughs> NATO that's trying to fight essentially two fronts of a battle, uh, or sorry, U.S. is looking to front is fighting two fronts of a battle. They're, they're dealing with Russia and they're also dealing with China on the other side. And you're dealing with a country that doesn't really, on, on a grand level, really produce a lot for the world aside from culture. And then you look to BRICS, who their dollar is backed by is going to be backed by gold. They are going to be using distributed distributed ledger technology, blockchain which they've been mastering over the past four years with the digital wand. Who, what's more attractive at this point? Like, who are you going to, who are you going to invest with in the future? Yep. Like that's kind of the question that keeps coming up and people are asking and why this brick stuff is really kind of scary. And this is where after this 22nd, this August 22nd announcement, this is where I'm starting to get a little nervous. So, so say they make this announcement that they're introducing this, currency backed by gold that also is independently audited a system that's independently audited you now start creating a, a situation where people feel safe to invest where you have set up this technology where you set up this economy so that encourages countries to completely start ditching the dollar iraq has already done this they've made it illegal to deal in the u.s dollars i think we're going to start seeing that in other countries and the biggest linchpin in all that, I think, is going to be Saudi Arabia. If they say we are no longer dealing with the U.S. dollar, we're completely ditching the U.S. altogether, and we're going full-blown into BRICS, along with other dominoes to fall. I heard Japan's in talks with them as well. Things are start are going to get very interesting. So if everyone ditches their dollar, so Russia ditches the U.S. dollar, obviously they already did. At this point, it had to. 
you have China that's going to, if they just flood the market with US dollars, if you got Saudi Arabia that floods the market with US dollars, all that money comes to the US. And now you're dealing with inflation on levels you've never seen before. I was reading something along the lines of people anticipate if that were to happen, if like the, the right circumstances were to line up and those dollars flood the market, we could be seeing 15, 16% interest rates. And there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing that we can physically control because it's just, we're just going to be in shambles. People are going to lose their homes. People are going to lose their properties uh, or anything that they own. It's just going to get really ugly. And so what would happen if, if that ends up happening is what our governments have done quite frequently through this time with Russia is they're going to point the finger. There's, they're going to make an enemy, whether it be China, Putin, Russia, or anybody else. And they're going to be like, it was their fault. And now that opens up the floodgates and the opportunity to introduce your CBDCs, to introduce your ledgers, to introduce a new monetary system that people are going to be yearning for because they're going to be absolutely wiped out financially. Yeah. I also think that um, in this future dystopian scenario, which is very likely to happen, I do think though that you've got a couple things at play um, where you have China that has, it has a little bit of a, a stumbling block because of its one child policy. So it's, its population is actively aging, so they need to come out on top as fast as possible. Um, so I think that there's going to be a big push for them to to really get ahead right now um, and then work on their, their population issue. Um, the other thing that I'm thinking, too, is that I don't know if the U.S. would let China and Russia and the BRICS nations get to a point where they're going to be that strong because i think that they'll manufacture a reason for war um and as we know like war is a big income generator for the states um and for most of the western countries right so i think that i think you'll see a war happen before before anything and i think that's kind of why right now everything's sitting kind of like in this stalemate position especially when you think about like taiwan and uh a couple other different like hotspots, like, you know, we haven't actively seen anybody go to war yet. Everything's just kind of been like, just little, little moves, little testing the water, little displays of, of power. And so I think that, yeah, I think that, I think that this kind of future is like coming. And I think that also we would be um, not out, like out to launch to say that I think that war would come with it as well. I absolutely, I would agree with that. I think the one thing to clarify too, is actually the one child policy. Uh, they discontinued it in 2015. Yeah. That's something to keep in mind. But as you said, they're still going to feel the effects of that. Cause they did that. Exactly. They had that policy for like what, 45 years or something along those lines. Yeah. And so, that's, that's one of the things, right. Is that they're looking at it. Like when they actually discontinued it, they're like, Oh crap, we've made our population unsustainable. And so it's not, it's, yeah, it's hard to tell what the effects of that are going to be because like I said, they're a country that's actively aging right now and they're not going to have the people to replace their population. So it'd be interesting to see what's going to happen there. But like I said, I think that that's, that's like a decade out 
maybe maybe two decades out, but uh, it, it means that China is going to become more desperate. And so, if people are desperate and they're motivated to to act, I think that we're going to see see some things like that we were mentioning happen a little bit quicker, maybe than what we expect. Totally, and I think you, I, I agree with that. Where I think China is going to get desperate. They know that, like they already have been desperate. That's why they've been making such big moves, literally within the past two to three years, that have been like at least highly documented things that they're trying to move on. Whether it be really trying to stack up on gold, aligning with Russia, trying to get this BRICS thing going, trying to just take away power from the states as the one world one world reserve currency. Things are moving at a more rapid pace, as you said, because of their desperation levels. And I think that's something to keep in mind as we, they're going to, what's going to happen. I say, I, we'll see what happens with the war thing. I think we're obviously, we're kind of in one because that's kind of what happens is usually what happens first is people go to war with their dollars first before there's actually a big physical one. And that's the one we're currently in at the moment, right? There's a big fight at the top of the moment between China, uh, China and the U S for world dominance and we're going to see what comes first. Like, are we going to kind of skip the physical war thing and go right to uh, like people getting like absolutely ravaged financially? Or as you said, before it gets to that point, are we going to see a war? We'll leave, we'll put that one out. We'll see what happens. I have a feeling it will likely be physical because that's really all the U S is going to have at that point. Uh, because there's really, they don't, they're losing their influence on the global level or uh, yeah, at the global yeah. level. And it's it's hard to say, right? Like, I mean, we don't have a crystal ball, but one thing you can can kind of do is just look to, okay, how how does the U.S. usually behave in these situations, and and it usually follows that they're they're going to have some big show of brute force as yeah. kind of you know, <laughs> here we are, we're still in power, don't mess with us, kind of thing. But again, if their currency isn't worth anything it's still going to be awful challenging to then you know, remain, <laughs> remain yeah. the, the top dog. Right. And so, yeah, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see and it'll be interesting to watch. And we're just kind of going through all this stuff. That's when it, it all started ca- coming to me of like this, this is what the great reset is going to be. Yeah. We'll all be taken out because this has all been, this has been happening since, the nineties of just extraction of value out of the States moving across the pond to China and other, other countries. It's been going on a long time and now we're starting to feel the repercussions of it for all, for these decades. And I was always confused. Like obviously we always joked about it. We talked about it like, yeah, the great recess coming. But if I'm being honest with you, like I had an idea of what it could be, what it could look like, but I just didn't know what it, what it would, how it would happen. Um, I could, I, I was starting to see it a little bit in terms of like, big companies buying up neighborhoods or apartment buildings and like making everyone permanent renters. But the one question I always asked myself was how are they going to get the people who are currently like who currently have homes currently established, how are they going to get them? And I think this is the way that they're going to weed out as much people as possible is it's going to happen through this conflict. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And it's kind of one of those things that's hard because when you think about those people who quote unquote own their homes, a lot of them don't actually own their homes. They have a certain amount of equity in their homes that they've invested in over the past, you know, however long. 
but in actuality, like all these homes are owned by the financial institutions mostly. And there's only a, a portion of a portion of people who fully own their assets. So, and th those people I think are the most vulnerable um, because, you know, those are the people that maybe they've poured their entire savings and their future into a physical asset, thinking that this is going to be a secure uh, investment for their future. And then you disrupt the market even a little bit and they can lose everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's the thing, the thing that really kind of spooked me was, you know, hearing these numbers of 14, 15, 16% interest rates. Imagine what that is with some of these people who, I mean, there's some cases, in some cases, people are lucky enough where they're, and this is, this is the lucky people that I'm saying, and this is kind of still scary, where your mortgage is only 300%, or sorry, 300,000, 400,000. The people have mortgages at the 700, 800, 900, a million dollar range. Holy jumping. You going from a 5% to a 15% interest rate. See ya. Like yeah. it, it's over. Well, I'm even just thinking myself, I'll give you some of them like real figures. Like my mortgage right now is at, um, 4.49%. Uh, it's fixed for five years and the mortgage amount is $526,000. Um, so I'm looking at that going, okay, my wife and I, we bring in like a decent income, nothing like extravagant, but enough that like that figure is okay for us. But if you bump that 4.49% uh, up to a 10, or even if you bump it up to an eight, like mm -hmm. that's going to be, that's going to be un unreasonable for us. Like that's going to be something that, you know, could sink us. And so we have to prepare now for that kind of a scenario. And uh, that's what I look at. I'm like, Ooh. And so I'm like looking at this going, okay, I'm preparing for this. I'm, I'm, kind of looking at what lump sums I'm going to make in the, the coming year to make sure that the amount of money that we have owing on our principal is low. Um, and then I'm, I'm actively kind of looking at my spending, how I'm, how I'm living. And I'm like, if people aren't doing that, like, they're going to be so vulnerable to these kind of shocks to the financial market. And they're going to be the ones that are, that are going to be paying the price essentially. Absolutely. I think that kind of drifts us or pulls us into the kind of the next segment of this is like, okay, if this is likely coming down the pipe, what do we do? Or how do we avoid this? I think you brought up an interesting point where you're doing to try and do your best to not to have damage control of if it does hit. What are some other things people are doing? Well, some people I'm hearing or people are doing and I also have some financial or some business coaches that have been kind of talking to me a little bit too, uh, in terms of stuff that they're growing and, and trying to purchase up. But a big sale is happening on hard assets. Not sale, I should Ooh. say, but a per big purchase uh, demand is going up for hard assets. So we've talked about this in previous episodes, but the idea of gold, silver, copper, lithium, uh, oil, like crude oil, and real estate are the big things you need to hold on to in this some things that you can touch you can feel that people can't detract its value from on you uh and inflate it or deflate or inflate its cost at, at a whim things that you just you can touch are huge in the in this situation this scenario what are ways you can kind of purchase some of these things so that you can 
hold on to some type of your some type of value as we kind of run through this roller coaster of life that's looking like it's going to come upon us yeah for sure um that's the thing that i'm looking into mostly even with my investing is just like looking at REITs, um, looking at uh, some companies who own multiple properties uh, that are then rented out and they pay a shareholder um, based on that. So that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at REITs, I'm looking at, um, yeah, definitely organizations that are holding uh, physical tangible assets because like you said, like I I can't, <laughs> I can't uh, build my portfolio based on yeah, based on organizations that might not exist. Yeah. Yeah, essentially organizations that are providing, you know, software as a service maybe. Yeah. Or uh, or just providing like some type of value of service. Like those aren't very, like maybe they'll make it, who knows, but we don't know. The only things you can really trust are hard assets. And so, Yep. There's people that you, that's the only scenario you do have, as you said, like you can only kind of invest in companies who do have these assets, but I will implore anybody who can and have the means to do it, own the asset yourself, find ways if you can. That's like super key. If you mm -hmm. really want to ride this wave. Uh, and that's kind of what, again, the people I'm talking to, that's what they're doing. Yeah. What I'm doing on top of that. I know it's the one that's not favorite, but I've said it a billion times over. I really think, uh, I, I'm, I'm still collecting Bitcoin on this one too. I really think that's going to be an asset that's going to be really important to hold on to as we ride this out. Because my prediction, I've said that I said this last on last members episode. I what I can see happening is, yeah, we hit this whole great reset. We now introduce CBDCs. There's a big part of me I really do believe that a lot of these governments are going to base their CBDCs off of the value of Bitcoin. And I think that's mm -hmm. going to be the new digital gold. And it will be very interesting. You have an economy based on digital gold and versus an economy that's based on real gold. Who wins? I'd be very curious. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say because like the thing with like physical gold as well is like, depending on where the next mine opens up or if they discover, you know, more mm -hmm. gold, like that's the thing where it, that gold can fluctuate with. Um, because we know that there's a lot of, you know, areas that are untapped, especially I, I did a lot of work on this in my master's degree about the fact that with the North melting right now, it's uncovering more and more land mass with more and more precious metals and minerals that they're just dying to extract. And so that's actually something that I think is gonna happen in the future too, is we're gonna see um, more relaxing of environmental regulations and more extraction happen when, really? things get, when things get more desperate. That's exactly what I think is gonna happen. Very interesting. Is it, is it simply because of the desperation and like, we're just gonna be like, you know what? Screw to protecting the world. We're just gonna do what we gotta do. I think, because I think that what we're seeing right now is that like we put conservative governments in power are right-leaning governments in power when things start to get dicey. Um, and those governments traditionally are less um, concerned with um, protecting environment. They're more about concerned about protecting uh, finances. So I think that what will happen is, because we saw this happen a little bit in the Harper era in Canada where, you know, suddenly data collection around environment, data collection around health, data collection in general, 
just became like um, something that was not done. So when one of the biggest things that kind of was devastating to uh, epidemiology and to to research why you hear a lot of like Harbor hates scientists and stuff like that is because when he stopped collecting like the census, when he stopped collecting information, um, then nobody really knew what was going on because there was no hard data to, to pin anything to. And so not that I think that we'll see the census disappear again when we elect another conservative government, because I think that's what's coming. Um, I think that what you'll see is a, a relaxation of a lot of laws around environment and regulations around environment and kind of like a gutting of like things like um, natural resources departments and DFO and, and things like that that are really kind of um, a little bit of gatekeeping right now because that's the problem is I feel like they've kind of overstepped their boundaries and they've made it difficult. We kind of need to, because like I said this in the podcast before, like everything is a trade-off and I think right now we're, we're hurting ourselves a little bit too much and uh, not realizing that, hey, we actually do need these natural resources. We're relying too heavy on nations like China and uh, other places that kind of fulfill our needs and, and let them do the extracting, let them pay Africa to, to mine the materials. Um, and so I think that when our governments flip over to be more conservative governments, I think you'll start to see that, that change that will start extracting more. And there will be extraction friendly policies put in place there yep i could see that i think that's a very i'm not i'm trying my best not to use your industry right now <laughs> that's what's stopping right that's stopping right now uh, but no that's that's a fair take i would say yeah uh, and that's those but i, just, I don't think we haven't I don't think we have enough resources uh, or sorry, not resources. I think we have tons of resources. I just don't think that we have enough uh, infrastructure in place to harvest the resources in time to actually weather the storm that's coming. Um, so yeah, I think that anybody who's looking at this stuff, it's like we one have to get a, a new government in place. That's going to be extraction friendly Two, we then have to build the industry around extraction three. Then we have to build the markets around extraction Four, then we have to extract. So I think that it's a long process that's coming. So I think that it's not something that is going to be a quick fix anytime soon. Totally. I guess that kind of moves us into the, the final topic of tonight is all the shuffling that's happening with Trudeau's cabinet. We talked about this on the Monday episode of the possibility of Trudeau calling a fall election. And then we kind of were, we were both like, yeah. I don't know about that. And then the day after all this news breaks of all this shuffling happening and people leaving and not wanting to run for re-election or just outright just leaving the party altogether. What do you make of that? I find that interesting because I'm just like, okay, this government has been scandalous about its, about its uh, backroom dealings and things that have come to light. So I'm like, what fall guy is this recent cabinet minister that has just left? I was like, what did he do? What was he responsible for? And what was the thing that he was involved in that now he has to step down or take the fall for? So that's what I look at. Because I look at this like, you know, it's like, um, how many cabinet ministers is this government going to go through? <laughs> to be quite honest, like you had Jane Philpott, you had uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould. Um, I'm trying to remember, it's Omar, 
something, uh, the, the most recent guy. And I think there was another one um, before him that left. Um, but yeah, it's quite uh, not interesting. I'm trying to think of another word. Somebody help us with the thesaurus, honestly. Give us a synonym. <laughs> but, but it is, though. It's wild to look at this stuff and go, okay, why is this cabinet always falling apart? And I think it's what you spoke to about Trudeau's arrogance. I think it's, I don't know if he's arrogant enough to call an election. I still maintain that I don't think he will call an election. But what I'm wondering is, like, how much is that party suffering internally under, under his reign? Right. Yeah, it's, I, I still, I'm, I've gone from like 90% sure that he won't call an election in the fall to now I've, that's probably moved down to probably 70, 65, 70%. Okay. I think that's, I think it's still more of a possibility. It's not going to be called, but all the shuffling happening and hearing of emails being leaked to media that still hasn't been presented to the media yet, but people are talking about these emails of a potential election being called. I think part part of it for me is, I think it's a lot of like conservatives and hopium that there will be an election called. Yeah, that's what I was gonna <laughs> say, it's hopeful thinking. <laughs> yeah. uh, but either way, I, I wouldn't put it past Trudeau, as I said, to do something like that. Like, the people love me. They're all yelling at me in Belleville and everywhere I go, but the three that do look, want a photo with me, obviously I'm gonna be reelected, no e- easy peasy. I could see him doing that because he's so he's very out to lunch. He's full of full of himself, not really in touch with what's really going on. He's proven time and time again. He doesn't really listen to advice from his advisors really ever. He really does his own thing. So I wouldn't put it past him to, to call it. Yeah, I don't. I still I'm still sitting at like the 90 percent sure that he's not going to call an election. It'll be interesting to see what happens in this fall. But uh, yeah. Um, Part of me hopes I'm wrong, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be quite I honest, because I, I want to see a change in our government. Um, but I really, I just, I think that that would be so detrimental that I think that his party would like absolutely lose it if, if, uh, if he tried to call an election. I think that it would be, yeah, I think it would cause turmoil in the liberal party, like more so than already exists. Yeah, because so, like it's been two years. Yeah, it's only been and, two years since they they won the minority last. Right. And the other thing is that there's this, I think that what might cause a breakdown is the relationship between the NDP and the liberals right now is contentious at best. I could see a breakdown of that relationship happening and that be the reason why a non-confidence vote is called in an election. I don't think that Trudeau himself would call an election. I can see a breakdown in these relationships, these conversations and this pseudo, um, what do you call it, coalition that's yeah. happening, that uh, I could see that being the reason why we go to the polls again. But I just, I really still can't see Trudeau himself calling an election. Yeah, I think so that's, that's my that's prediction. Fair. That's very fair. <laughs> uh, I love how Jagmeet's getting ro- roasted because he was calling for uh, people with mortgages to get relief. Uh, that really upset his base. Uh, again, he pulled another Bud Light move. Anheuser-Busch. Not really knowing his base and said, yeah, let's just uh, let's give money to the people with mortgages, i.e. the landlords from his basis perspective. So that didn't really fire them up too much. But you know what? Like, in all honesty, like his base is correct. Like that doesn't fix the problem. Throwing money at mortgages to give to the banks, 
like yeah. doesn't fix the problem. <laughs> so yeah. they're not wrong. Um, whether Full or not, interest. yeah, whether or not it's for the right reasoning again, like, because I think that you hear a lot of people in that kind of political leaning, basically villainizing landlords and villainizing even homeowners now where, you know, there's this kind of like, um, almost envy that's happening where it's like the only way you got into homeownership is because of privilege. So therefore, you know, screw you kind of thing. And I'm really seeing that divide happen. Um, even just like in conversations I've had with friends where they're like, Oh yeah, it must be so nice for you to have a house. And it's like, bro, I've like saved for a decade and a half for this. Like, this is something I've actively worked towards. Um, and so I see that happening, but they're still not wrong when they talk about the fact that like, we shouldn't be offering relief for, for people who have mortgages. We should be creating the environment that promotes people to be able to access capital at a rate that isn't absurd. And for our houses that aren't absurdly overpriced, because like I follow this one guy who like compares the price of housing in Canada to European castles. Um, if I find him, I'll, I'll link the information there. But uh, it's just funny because he's he's absolutely right. And I, I even was at the dentist the other day and they had HGTV on from the States talking about these beautiful houses in um, New Mexico and in Texas that are going for, you know, 500000 And here in Canada, it would be like, that would be a million dollar, million and a half dollar home. It's like, okay, why is our housing market so inflated? And so... Again, it comes back to supply. It comes back to the way that the government right now has kind of um, built the economy around our housing as as the foundation for for our uh, GDP. So and then pumped us full the, of fake money too. And pumped us full of fake money. So when you see all these things um, kind of on the periphery, and then you see people that are like upset about mortgages, and then. You know, when you see a very left-leaning, the farthest left-leaning you can get, the NDP, suggesting that the solution is to <laughs> provide more of your supplements, you're like, oh, God, like, things are not well right now in this country. Like, things are about to get dicey when you have, like I said, when you have the most socialist, left-leaning, far-left government saying, we need to give money to, <laughs> to, to mortgage holders. It's like, uh-oh. <laughs> We're in for a fun one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think the, shoot, I just had a thought and now I'm losing it. It was about Jake Meat and nope, lost it. It's gone. Oh, uh, I was going to say, was it, a, was it about the idea that, um, that an election being called would probably be because of the, the breakdown in, in this coalition? I mean, yeah, we, yeah, it wasn't so much in that regard. It was more of along the lines of uh something along the housing i forget what it, oh sorry that's what it was um the yeah these, the the problem i have and you brought it up too about this uh rising tension between homeowners and people who don't is really is starting to get concerning to me and just seeing the the vitriol increasing because mm -hmm. we've seen this in other parts of the world in history um, where I actually have a friend of mine who's from China and who has had family who were landlords when the CCP took over and her, her uncle was executed because he was a landlord. Wow. And so that's where that gets to, right? 
And that's yeah. the thing that really concerns me is like that, that rhetoric of, you know, if that continues and that can needs to be fueled, that's where it can get to at some point, unfortunately. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't get there though. I don't think it, I don't think it will, but I do, I do feel like that tension right now where um, even like we hear in our own local media about people blaming landlords for the problems in the housing market. It's like, it's not the landlords. Yeah. You have a few shady ones and you have a few that are um, doing things to just maximize their own profit. But in essence, I really think it's just, it's the environment we're living in and landlords are the scapegoat because if we want to punish all the, you know, mom and pop landlords, um, we're only going to be left with these large corporate entities who are landlords. And that's not what we want. Um, but yeah, but it's, it's interesting. Cause like I said, I had a very, I've had some very terrible landlord experiences and I've had a really, really positive one. Um, so the, the place that we were renting that we just left, um, we watched the landlord as soon as we leave, um, raise the rent by $500 a month. Um, that's, you know, a lot, but then at the same time, um, hit the, the rental is still under market right now for what's out there for that amount. So just give some numbers, um, to be totally transparent. We are paying $1,100 a month for a two bedroom, um, backyard. It was a flat in a house. Um, we had our own parking, like it was a beautiful apartment, living room, dining room, um, all brand new kitchen. It was, if you were to probably find that on the market right now, it'd probably be a 2000 plus a month, uh, apartment. And so we were getting it for 1100 because we had a really good relationship with the landlord and we'd been there for about five years. Um, but yeah, as soon as we left, it went up to $1,600 a month. And so, but again, that's still wildly underneath the average amount that could be charged right now. He could have raised it up to 2000 and easily got that. Um, so that's where I kind of have a lot of respect for him. Um, but at the same time, you you put that out there. Oh, landlord raises rent by $500 a month. People are going to riot. They'll lose their mind over that story. They eat it up. Mm-hmm. And so, and what I think happens is that it points the finger at the wrong person. Um, because while we're all squabbling over whether the landlord should have raised it by $500 a month or not, we're not looking at the whole reason of like, why the heck are we living in a economy where $500 a month uh, is even tenable, right? Where that is a situation where the landlord can raise that amount and not be met with like, in, in, like a lower amount of demand because somebody can go elsewhere for less. Yeah. It's just, that's what I look at. It's like, we're not keeping up with our supply. We're not creating the right financial conditions for people to enter the market as landlords. Um, and I just think that there's a reason why we're in the situation we're in. And I think it's, like I said, years of, of mismanagement from the top. Start from the bottom. Now we're here, baby. We're we're further at the bottom. Here we go. And I don't think we've hit the bottom yet. As you've kind of alluded to, to kind of bring this fully around is like, we haven't hit the bottom yet. We're starting to, we're starting to feel the bottom coming closer, but we haven't, we haven't hit it yet. Um, I think that we still got a ways to go before it, it gets to us. And I think that when it does come, it's going to be, it's going to be scary and kind of like thinking back, thinking back to what you'd said before about what we can do. So you were saying about like, 
right now you're holding Bitcoin, um, trying to get into physical assets. I'm currently trying to make um, payments on my principal so that if my mortgage rate changes in the five years, like after my five year fixed term is up, that uh, I'll be able to, you know, even if the interest rate is like ridiculously high, that I'll be able to afford it because the amount of money owing will be such that it won't sink me. So things like that. Yep. Yeah, I think those like those are real action items, like things that we're doing in our lives. Uh, and then I also have fr- people and friends connections who uh, have the uh, who've kind of started. You know, they have their money where they put towards investments, and now they're starting mm-hmm. to pull out of some of these, like you know, the traditional like not the traditional market's not the word I'm looking for, um, but stocks. They're kind of pulling out of stocks and moving into more hard assets. Um, and, and like, they'll show me, there's like, yeah, I have like five blocks of gold. I'm like, yeah, gee, things, you, things you that actually are shock have it. Proof. Yeah, yeah. Things that are shock proof. And exactly. I think we see that, you know, time and time and again, when, when the markets really tank, you see the price of gold just go through the roof. Cause people are like, oh yeah. Um, gold. Yeah. <laughs> that's safe. <laughs> that's <a thing>. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah, I, I think that's like the smartest move right now is like pulling out of traditional stocks, you know, securing it in something, um, a little more fixed, something a little more tangible. And, uh, cause I do think that there's also money to be made in traditional stocks once everything crashes. So once things, you know, finally hit that rock bottom, because I do think that the stock market will come back as it always does. Um, but I don't know what it's going to look like entirely coming back, but I do think that we see a lot of times like the stock market completely hit rock bottom. These people who have already pulled their money out and who are waiting and watching um, sell their hard assets. You know, once everything is like at the bottom and those hard assets are now being sought after, they sell at the top and then they buy a bunch of stocks and the stock market goes up and then they keep doing this back and forth and they make a crazy amount of money doing it. And this is what actually like really I learned and really kind of upsets me learning about the, the market in general, where you have financial advisors who literally have their goal and is like they're told like do not never sell. Like hold on, wait for yeah. them, go through the, the highs and lows. And then people who actually have money are just like, No, um we're timing, we're selling. When things tank, then I'll buy back in. Like they're doing that, but like people who, who have financial advisors, like the regular people who are just giving their guys some money and they'll just kind of put it in the stock market. And as it goes up and down, up, like whatever, they just kind of leave it there. And that's where people are always playing the waiting game with their finances, unfortunately. Yeah. But I think that to kind of add to that a little bit though, I'd say that I think that people, they sell at the wrong time because it's like, you know, that whole, like, yep. um, what is it? Sell the news. Um, by the rumor, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's that idea that like, I think people get scared and they call up their financial advisor because they're like, the markets are tanking. I see things going down and that's when they sell yeah. um, versus like, oh, everything's really good. Sell now because things are coming that are, are going to be negative and I can buy back lower. And so I think that honestly, if we look at the, it's almost like three scenarios You've got the person who's timing the market well, where they're saying, I see things on the horizon coming. I should move things into physical assets and, uh, and wait for everything to crash so that I can buy in at you know, rock bottom prices. 
that's that's like your ideal investor. Then you have investor number two who says, I'm just going to keep throwing money in and, you know, time in the markets is better than time in the markets and we're just going to ride this out. So they're going to make less money than investor number one, but they're still going to be semi-okay, I'd say. But then you have investor number three, which is your scared investor, which sees things on the rise. They start buying like crazy as things are going up. And then they see things on the decline. They start selling like crazy as things are going down and they lose a lot of money. And I watched that happen actually with my grandparents, actually, like they were the scared investor where they called up their, their, um, financial, financial advisor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, said basically like, we're losing all our money. And, and the thing was, it was unrealized losses at the time. Yeah. It was in the late seventies, early eighties when the markets kind of tanked then. And they had put a sizable amount of their company's earnings into investments. And they were the scared investors. So what happened was, is that they saw things going up. So they bought like crazy. And then when they saw things starting to tank, they didn't wait because they had missed the point of selling. That was the thing is that they had missed the point of selling. Things were too far gone. Um, and instead of holding that, they sold it at, you know, rock bottom prices. And those people who had the money already ready and liquid bought up and yeah. they lost a lot. And so that's where you see these people also too going like, ah, oh, the government's crazy. I don't understand investing. It's scary. And then they hold everything in a high interest savings account with a 0.3%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is and that's, not okay, guys. <laughs> and that's, and that's generous. Yeah. That's generous. Gee. Yeah. So like, that's, that's completely it. Right. And that's the whole goal that at least things I'm trying to grow into is I I've come from that background as well with, you know, uh, being scared, uh, of, the market um because of not really understanding it yeah and uh, that's why i keep fighting because I'm, I'm really seeing a great opportunity on the on the horizon that i really want i think if we punch the opportunity just right you and your family your future family is going to do very well uh, and that's kind of where i'm at and that's what i'm fighting for on this show so i'm fighting for for my family and i hope what i'm sharing here what we're sharing here is helpful uh as, as we said i guess we have to say it None of this is financial advice, but we're yeah. just kind of sh sharing what we're what our plans are and what we're looking to do. Uh, you take ownership of what you're doing. You take ownership of your your own self, and you do your own research, and you figure out what's best for you and your your family. So, and and what level of risk you can handle too? Because at the end of the day, if you're a person who can't handle being the type one investor, mm -hmm. or you are uncertain, and you're like this is something that's going to cause you to lose sleep and and stress out be the type two investor just don't be that type three scared investor <laughs> yeah, please we beg you we yeah. beg you last thing i want to hit on before we end off the show i hit i came across this on instagram it's from city news halifax dude you may have read this i felt bad and then laughed after reading this uh, but this is from the rcmp says the Lunenburg RCMP says a man lost in Gold River on Monday after his tube capsized is believed to have been swept out to sea and search efforts have concluded. Oh, gee, his what a way to board that. Oh, man. <laughs> like, what is this like, guy doing? Yeah, that's one of those things where it's like you can you can feel sadness for the loss of human life. You can feel empathy for that person's family. Then the other part of it, you're just like, man, that's a Darwin award. Like you just took yourself out of the gene pool. Like, oh man. But at the same time, it's still, 
it's really crappy. And then to think about all the people who are worried about that person and like the resources that are and find them, like don't do stupid stuff. <laughs> Please don't do that to your family. Yeah. Like it, oh. it, was, it was the tweet that killed me though. It was just yeah. like, it was so matter of fact, black and white. It is what it is. It's done. That's just like, yeah. gee, the comments on it are unreal. Uh-oh. Uh oh. <laughs> geez. Sorry, I was like, sorry, do you mean the RCMP is passing the search over the Coast Guard or has everyone just stopped looking? <laughs> I think it's the last one there, sir. Yeah. Uh, so this person was tubing during flooding of biblical proportions? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where my mind is, right? Yeah. And I think that's where generally people are. It's like, you can recognize that, like, again, this person had a family. This person's family is probably grieving their loss, but at the same time, what are you doing sir like and you know it's always a sir it's always a dude like (laughs) it's always some guys like bro guess what like we're gonna go out in the tubes because i saw like these guys in a canoe on like one of the the, like highways because the highway was was flooded so much that they they got their canoe out and like doing it for the gram it's like how much do you want to bet like dude was on his tube doing the same thing you know Yep. This is going to be so cool. And, you know, oh. rest in pieces. Eh? Yeah. Gee. The big, yeah. the big thing that I'm sad about is that, that they came out and found the two children that were in the yeah. car that passed away. Like, that's, that's, that's awful. That's, you know, they're kids. They don't have a choice in that. Like, yep. they were in a car. Like, yep. that to me, that's where you put your, your grief and your sadness. Because, like it, I said, they weren't on a tube. <laughs> yeah. But, exactly. It's, uh, Actually, yeah, I have a guy, buddy I play lacrosse with. He was actually on a bridge that got swept out while he was on it. That's that was nice. that was crazy, dude. His his car completely totaled, Gonzo. Somehow, him and his girlfriend got out and are safe and are uninjured. But stuff's no joke, man. No, like tube guy makes me think of the people who were camping and setting up bonfires while we had like the largest forest fire that we've seen in our history. Right. Um, that situation with the kids and with your, your friend, like that's just wrong place, wrong time. Like and that's, that's tragic. That is yeah. really hard. And so my heart goes out to those people and, and their families for that. Totally. I hear you on that. So I guess we're going to conclude on that note. So, <laughs> I, I want to I want to bring that around a little bit and just bring it around, like, sir. Yeah, I'd just say that like wrap around. You know, things are tough. Things are going to happen to us that we're not going to be able to prepare for. That you know that are going to be challenging, and that we're going to have to, you know, the floods are coming essentially, and so all we can do is, like I said, prepare as best we can, lean on each other. That's the other part of it too. Is like looking for support in each other. I keep bringing that back because I really think that when you're connected to your community and you're connected to those people around you, I think that's worth its weight in gold. Um, so yeah. Collect gold by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth its weight in gold and get the gold. <laughs> yeah. Gee, totally. I, I couldn't agree more, dude. And uh, so we are here. We're going to keep fighting the good fight out here, doing what we do best. And so whatever it is you're doing, whether you be going for a walk on the waterfront, whether you be collecting gold, or shopping at Costco, which I hope you're not doing and spending all your credit money. But whatever it is you're doing, wherever you are, we love you. We're out. Peace. Peace.